And you know what happiness is? Happiness is the smell of a new car. It's freedom from fear. It's a billboard on the side of the road that screams with reassurance that whatever you're doing, it's okay. You are okay. Hello there. Thanks for joining us. The career this episode is marketing. One that admittedly would not be my first choice. Neither of us. And that is because we'd suck at it. We don't have what it takes. And yet here we are chronicling those who did. Yes, we did have fun looking up its history and discovered what we are missing out on. Right. Now before we oversell it too much, let's get to it. Yeah, overselling. Told you we are not good at it. Here goes anyway. Hello, and this week we are going to be looking at marketing and advertising. So starting off with the ancient stuff, such I believe you have something for me? Yes. So on with our quiz. Mm-hmm. And for our first question today, you have to guess what the earliest known advertisement was for. Okay. Um, earliest known advertising. Was it, was it for books or uh, for... Uh, books is a good guess. But it's wrong. Then it's not. Was it for some show or something? Like a guy shouting, come watch the show? No. So I want you to think about when we say earliest businesses and earliest commerce. Mm-hmm. Is there some other very well-known factoid that leaps out at you um, when you say world's oldest oh yes uh, about prostitution being uh-huh. oldest profession yeah okay so it's so the world's earliest advertisement was for a brothel mm-hmm. uh, very famous very popular in Pompeii and we have evidence from it because of the volcano which destroyed many houses and which were preserved in very, in very pristine ash. condition uh, in volcanic ash so once you excavated the houses mm-hmm. you came across a lot of pornographic art in uh, one particular location which as it happens uh, was used as a brothel for a very long time it was the most visited brothel at the time mm-hmm. and archaeologists and Romanologists of the time believe that many of those pictures what they're painting are actually descriptions of the services that you can order so rather than people uh, people facing the embarrassment of having to explain what they exactly are looking for today okay so all they have to do is walk past the the commercials and just point the thing that they are looking for today and then a price is listed and you carry on. That's a bit like, um, so that I don't know the exact date, but in England there was this uh, booklet published by, uh, so it was called Harris's List. Uh-huh. Harris's List of, I think, Covent Garden Ladies. Yes. And it was almost like a tourist guidebook to all the different uh, prostitutes. Uh, they would have include their names and describe right. them in the attributes. Uh, quite deep, so. detailed. Yeah, and I've read about it somewhere. <laughs> the place that we are talking about Pompeii also so outside the brothel we can say from the what we have learned from the ruins that mm-hmm. advertisement was not just restricted to one field so it was a common thing in in that uh, socioeconomic time period because in the sports arenas right. uh, for gladiatorial sports mm-hmm. they also had commercial advertising so for instance uh, most of these gladiatorial sports were sponsored by prominent figures of the time who also happened to be politicians as is the case today right, right. so the politician would pay for an ad saying just pretty much like today's sports arenas mm-hmm. stadiums you would have an ad saying these games today with the lions versus the gladiators is paid for by senator marcus so and so and for the next game there'll be another commercial from all written in greek by some other senator that's among them uh, were also some advertisements for oliver for oliver uh-huh. that's that's a white age very important for political 
campaigning to go all over it. Anyway, uh, so that's pretty cool. You asked me about uh, advertising, but you guess what spam looked like in the medieval period, in the, let's say 15th century. I can't. Right. So again, it's the 15th century. So do you, can you think of any major invention? So printing, right? We right. So printing, I, I believe, happened in 1490s. Yeah. So this was right before uh, the printing press was invented. So around 1450, 1470s. So back then, of course, people had to reproduce books by hand. So there were special scribes who yeah. had sort of mastered the skill of writing in longs mostly. Right, different colors and right. So this was after the commercial book producers had taken over book production from the abbeys. So uh, there are a few advertisements found in Germany and also in Holland. At the end of the book, there is a note saying, "If you like this handsome book, come to so and so place, and I can write more books for you, and I can produce more books for you." And um, the article that that I was reading about this suggested it's it's actually a lot like iTunes suggesting complete your album by downloading this one more song. Yeah, I mean, for it to qualify as spam, it has to be something unwanted slipped yeah. into something that you do want. Yeah. So it would be an old Bible, uh, I mean, the Old Testament Bible, and at the back there would be a page saying, "If you want the New Testament, come." to me and I will reproduce this book for you. Cool. And then, of course, we get printing and the printed word in books become a very big thing. By the time you come into the 19th century, mm-hmm. you start seeing another example of something that, that is very prevalent in our marketing culture this day, which is product placement. And the earliest example we know of is from the 1873 Jules Verne novel, mm-hmm. Around the World in 80 Days. Oh, I've read that one. Well, the abridged version at least. So apparently he was already so famous that transporting and shipping companies were paying him to get uh, mentioned in his novel. But the fun factoid mm-hmm. is from around the same period and the same country, but another medium, product placement. Which one would you get? Uh, theater? No. You get a second guess. Um, am I close? No. <laughs> um, same country, another late 19th century form of art becoming very popular. Uh, okay, I give up. I can't think of any. It's in the Impressionist painter Edward uh, Edouard Manet's work. One of his paintings is called A Bar at Foil Berger is a painting of sort of a place that sells alcohol and okay. several of the alcohol bottles are very recognizable beer brands famous uh, from that day. Oh, there's no way I would have gotten that impressionism painting. Not really good at that stuff. Yeah, but to imagine that people wanted their products placed in the famous works of some of the most famous Parisian artists that we know from Jules Verne to Edouard Manet. Right. Yeah, so I personally didn't know much about advertising and marketing, uh, but a lot of what our generation does know about the of this industry is through this amazing show called Mad Men. I'm sure you've watched it. Uh, so Mad Men is set in 1950s America yeah. and my next factor is actually from 1950s America. So in 1957, James Vickery who was one of these uh, Mad Men he came up and he experimented uh, with the marketing tactic. Supposedly implemented this marketing tactic and since then it has had its fair share of conspiracy and controversy. Can you guess what that tactic was? No, sorry. Okay, it's to do with the movies. It's actually somewhat like, uh, it, it's okay, it's not product placement but it's to do with the movies any guesses uh, now i think only because you said conspiracy and product placement i'm gonna guess subliminal marketing uh-huh. yes <laughs> you're right so in 1957 james vickery what he did was so there was this film playing in the theaters called picnic it was a very popular film and he claims that during the film he projected images two images one was eat popcorn 
and the other was drink cola or something along those lines flashed for less than one tenth of a second and he claimed afterwards in a press conference that this tactic led to a, a huge increase in sales of both these products and that it was going to be the next big thing in marketing and so on as you can expect a lot of people uh, were very wary of this a lot of people said welcome to 1984 because being fed certain visuals and then you act upon it yeah but then later of course uh, not only did he admit that the sales actually did not jump from or 18% and 54% for the two products but he also there has also been much speculation about whether he did show those messages in the first place and since then of course this experiment they have tried to replicate it i think bbc tried to replicate it and they found that it has absolutely no effect on the viewers whether or not you watch the one with or without subliminal message all the stock of madman did remind me of one very hilarious ad that i've seen a while ago now this mm-hmm. is also from uh, around that period and if you think that the gender dynamics of the sort that they are portrayed in that tv show seems really far fetched an advertisement for the american airlines from that period that i've seen cited in several good sources was for american airlines that advertise men only flights men um, only flights is it so yeah. women are not allowed on flights women couldn't buy a ticket on these flights and uh, the reason uh, that the ad would very proudly say is that this is because the flights are for business travel only so obviously who else is going to travel for business other than men of course stewarding crew was all female right we're talking about mad men which is a very contemporary series so we can nicely move into our current section of this episode so such over to you right Now you know that in our times advertising fails which are down to cultural naivete are quite famous right because of multinational companies or a brand originating in one country trying to expand to markets in cultures that it is not very familiar with and so on so the more the global economy gets integrated you see you come across more and more of these advertising failures so i want to ask you to guess what is common to these uh the three following famous faux pas by major brands okay so one is Mitsubishi Pajero in Spain the car another car Ford Pinto in Brazil and the iPhone 7 in Hong Kong uh, so i'm guessing it's an advertising fail i mean all three of them have been part of advertising fails in this, these three countries yeah so you focus on the names of the brands themselves and the company having failed to check what the words mean in local vernaculars ah okay so i have no knowledge of spanish or cantonese so portuguese so i think i'll just uh, have to give these to you and you'll probably see immediately what's common with them mm-hmm. so just with a straight face i'm going to say that pajero is spanish slang for a man who plays with himself okay Pinto is Portuguese slang for a tiny penis and the character for seven in Cantonese is shat which is also slang for penis and the slogan that iPhone 7 had decided to go and use this exact same slogan all over the world this was is this is seven and because you are very <laughs> unlikely to say that phrase in Cantonese with the number most people read the slogan the other way so those are pretty huge fails i'm guessing i would say so about the cars obviously they changed the names for those markets mm-hmm. and the iphone they didn't directly stop using the slogan they managed they just went along with it right but the interesting thing is so again this would count as bad publicity and you know that old adage right there's no such thing as bad publicity yeah well it turns out uh, it's actually true i mean not in all cases but at least in some cases so uh, howard business review study finds that so what they did was they analyzed reviews for books in reputed publication and they found that a bad review actually does hurt sales for already well established authors who have sold a lot of books in the past but for authors who are not as well known a bad review can actually 
really boost sales because even when you do read a bad review, at least the name stays with you. And then the next time you see the book, even though that's a one bad review, you know that you've heard of this book somewhere, people are talking about it, and maybe you happen to pick it up. Though no author wants to have a bad review, it might just help boost his or her sales if they're not that well known. Yeah, in marketing terms, you would call that brand retention right. in people's minds. Uh, the, just the fact that the name sticks in their heads. Mm. And also, the phenomenon you described is a bit, little bit like the Streisand effect, which for listeners who are not familiar with, so this is to do with Barbara Streisand and a very famous court case where she sued a publication that had managed to get hold of a picture of her house and she didn't want uh, for privacy reasons that picture to be out there she took them to court and because she's such a famous person the court case was heavily covered by news media up and down the country which meant that to go along with the news coverage of the court case every newspaper in the country <laughs> had to carry the picture of Streisand's home. So getting the opposite of what you intended essentially. Exactly and uh, this is what you see time after time in every authoritarian country that tries to ban a book. Right. These are people who haven't heard of the Streisand effect. Right. So that's a little unfortunate for Barbara Streisand. But uh, her contemporaries, the Grateful Dead, have you heard of their music? No. Right. So they were a rock band who pretty much started the whole hipster rock movement. And they were great musicians in their own right. But they're, they're today being recognized as one of the pioneers in really good marketing of their music. So you know this phenomenon of bootlegging of concert videos and also uh-huh. of movies and things. So usually bands would be, of course, against piracy and bootlegging for obvious reasons. But Grateful Dead actually encouraged taping and bootlegging of their concert videos because they believed that if they made their music available to a larger audience through these, through these bootlegs, what would happen is eventually people would want to listen to more music. And they were very successful in creating the sort of a tribe behind and uh, that would eventually lead people to say hey if this band is producing good music might as well support them then they used to go to the record store and buy these cassettes and that's how it became famous but interesting part is not only did they have allow bootlegging they used to have designated tapers so 10 or 15 tapers for each concert and these tapers used to follow them along on on their tours and it's a bit like Instagram and influencers of today of how brands get Instagram influencers to come and cover certain events of course these tapers were not famous by themselves but they were known to be good with the so the Grateful Dead are today being uh, I recognized as marketing gurus. Yeah, and a more contemporary example of that sort of thing that, that you described with the band is, is of course the comedian Louis C.K., mm-hmm. who before his latest downfall became popular with this sort of marketing strategy. You might remember he produced a new series of comedy show which he put all of it online and the first uh, a few episodes were entirely uh, given away for free online oh. uh, on his website and then he started selling uh, tickets, very, very cheap access tokens or, or whatever you might call them for the next few episodes so it's like a podcast but uh, on a freemium uh, kind of a model even in the music industry today a lot of bands do this they create a single or they record a song and they put it free on Spotify and then of course Spotify can sense that people are listening to this so then that becomes an indicator that the band takes to record producer and say listen produce our record for us that's a way for the industry to get to notice you as well so it's marketing working both ways exactly from the creator's uh, perspective it is their marketing to end of the supply chain. While we are on uh, the, the whole discussion of copyright, maybe I can move us to the p- world of publishing as well. Sure. So publishing also, when it moved to the internet, it was earlier working on one model which was keeping the content itself uh, free access, by which I mean mainly news websites. So all the content was free and it was paid for by advertisements. And later on, a newer model has started emerging in recent years with some uh, companies do it with a gradual pay 
evolve or some do it with a subscription model but let's just call the other model adless subscriptions and in the last 5 years what we have seen is the world as in general online is moving away from the older model to adless subscriptions model or paywall one of the two for well known trends in online publishing which are things like the rise of ad block mm-hmm. software and privacy concerns against companies like facebook and google and all the internet giants right so the main point i'm trying to bring up is just that business models are being rewritten and marketing will need to adapt to this changing landscape in the digital publishing space within a year or two okay and one new answer that has come up is a new browser called okay. the brave browser and the cool thing about this is that it actually shares a part of the ad revenue in some cases up to 70% with the user oh, that's uh, i can get down with that so either you can choose for the ads to be extremely customized to you for which google and others will collect a lot of personal data or you can choose to be served uncustomized ad but then you get a share of it. Oh, okay so you mentioned how much data google has and how and how we get to control how much data we give yeah so this has been at the center of all sorts of advertising and big data and data mining for the past few years and uh, do you know of this borderline scary case of target which is this global supermarket brand uh, predicting a woman's pregnancy before she found it yeah yeah this made headlines across the world so yeah the, you you can uh, imagine how after uh, looking at data for millions and millions of customers around the world you start recognizing a trend in how many days after somebody first looks for a condom and if that that same person is also looking for advice on dating mm-hmm. and uh, how to keep a relationship going and so forth and uh, start getting interested in groceries of a certain kind once right. you have been cohabiting with somebody your grocery habits change mm-hmm. and if you've already been in a cohabitation situation for 3 years and so on then after learning for this for millions and millions of people <laughs> the machine learning software gets good at predicting how soon you're going to be shopping for babies baby care products in this case i think they sent a flyer or some coupon codes for baby clothes to the person's house and the father got really irritated saying what are you trying to do you're trying to get my daughter pregnant and i think when she actually checked and she found out she was pregnant he sent a note saying well you were right i'm sorry for lashing at something yeah so supermarkets around the world of um, already practice a less creepy version of this mm-hmm. for instance in much of europe there are loyalty programs where you have to scan a card every time you go which earns you like up to 20% discounts on much of the merchandise but that also means that the uh, supermarket has a very Precise. fine uh, data on millions of its customers around the country of how much of what you consume and how often you need it and so on but without dropping any brand names what i can say from my personal experience is that indian online grocery chains are not making great use of all the data that they could collect or are collecting mm-hmm. for instance they are not able to predict their inventory based on my shopping patterns but for my i mean my personal experience has been pretty positive because i realized that they send me offers and discounts only about things that i have been buying in the past week so we must the, be talking about two different companies i'm pretty sure we are but in a way what happens is i feel the overall objective of marketing and advertising which is to get your message out to the concerned person and concerned person only is better achieved instance is this liquor company in china a major brand that doesn't make ads anymore 
they make entire food shows okay. so the premise of each episode is that they are telling you how to produce this exquisite gourmet dish which is then incidentally a very good pairing for one of their wines uh, that's smart so uh, it's interesting we spoke about product placement in the uh, old ancient section yeah and we spoke about content based strategy which is happening now or other is an emerging trend but in the 1990s a sort of a mixture of these two strategies uh, was happening and this was actually a beer brand that was doing it in uh, 90s america and so what they were doing is so you must have heard of gangster rap right uh, sort of right so very famous rap artists like ice cube and dr dre and wu tang clan the names are all familiar yeah so all of them had a lot of uh, followers and fans uh, especially african american youth from uh, poorer sections of the society were uh, really into that kind of music and this brand which was saint ives uh, so mackenzie river is the corporation and they were producing malt liquor which is a slightly stronger beer and what they did was and it was a master stroke really they got these rap artists to pen and sing lyrics and verses which included the malt liquor the brand name uh-huh. in their verses it was different from a jingle because they had given complete creative liberty to these artists and what they did was they also shot the video for that piece of music just like you would see a music video for any of these uh, artist songs and what happened was kids were soon humming these songs and the brand it was everywhere suddenly people were buying more of these more of their liquor and back then it was very controversial because rap has had its own share of controversy back then it was almost looked at as a social evil and this brand <laughs> this brand was very brave they were just easily aligning themselves with this sort of culture with the gangster lifestyle so to say and i mean it's somewhere between content and product placement as said because they also later released an entire cassette which only featured these jingles because they went on to become such such huge hits wow that's a fascinating connect there tanay i think you have outdone yourself this time be that as it may video that you are speaking of is now already uh, being deemed the strategy of for the past decade so the uh, decade that is now just ending right. video was king at the moment advertising seems to be all about uh, social media influencers and very soon in the near future uh, something which is a good news for people who are producing podcasts is that uh, a lot of advertising is going to come to intellectual entertainment media such as podcasts and newsletters which ironically is, uh, sort of means that ads are going to reach you through emails once more in a throwback to the 90s and the next move in advertisement if you are to believe the latest issue of the Harvard Business Review is voice and the uh, issue has a couple of articles saying that companies should get together our entire voice strategy mm-hmm. which is because increasingly consumers are going to turn to a virtual assistant like Alexa or Siri to ask for all sorts of help with their uh, daily life which will also involve uh, helping them make choices about what to buy and the and these virtual assistant better know about your product or you will just not exist in the uh, in the general landscape right so you miss out on that sort of segment which is supposed to be huge in the coming years yeah so it will increasingly grow and people will turn to virtual assistants for every question that they have just like you would go online and search on google at the moment which is why all the ad revenue that google generates a lot of it comes through search will soon be targeted to voice based assistants like so people, yeah so people will not be typing searches they'll be asking a question in natural language and then your virtual assistant needs to know enough about your product to be able to answer all sorts of questions about the products in in mm-hmm. a natural conversation yeah i also read this article which talked about the sort of conflict of interest over there about what you mentioned right now about these virtual assistants ah. because when you talk to alexa or siri eventually have you watched the film her of course yeah so something like that happens you end up sharing a lot of information knowingly unknowingly with this virtual assistant and so at the same time this assistant is sort of like a friend or your secretary or whatever you may choose to call her a little bit less intimate than the movie yeah <laughs> but on the other hand as you said it can also be used 
used as a marketing tool. So now for the virtual assistant, that sort of a, imagine having a friend or having someone that you share feelings with, who you share a lot of information, and in return they just are stooges of some company trying to sell you stuff. So there's a bit of a conflict of interest that people have noted there. I see what you mean about uh, conflict of interest now, because the so to speak virtual personality is split between giving the best value for the company that paid for information about its product to be shared with the virtual assistant, but mm-hmm. also the virtual assistant owes an allegiance to you, the person who pays for the service exactly. uh, of the assistants. Also, in line with the voice trend, BBC has just announced a very innovative service, which will be sort of a, a browser plugin that will convert all its news stories into voice, which you could then listen to as a podcast while commuting or exercising or whatever, uh, and advertisers. So there'll be an API to this uh, software so that advertisers can then insert an audio ad which is customized to the individual uh, user. So the article will remain the same, but the ad that goes along with that sort of instant podcast episode for you will be different uh, for every user. Right. Then that would be quite a useful thing for lazy readers like me. Or busy ones. <laughs> well, I'm, I identify with the lazy type. But anyway, uh, did you know that advertising has consistently, so surveys have shown that advertising is probably the least trusted profession? Even more so than politicians? Uh, according to Gallup polls and Ipsos polls, advertising <laughs> takes the cake. Okay, well, I have some good news for uh, those of you who are uh, planning to pursue advertising. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. there is some hope. So there's a YouGov survey from uh, 2014 and 2017. Mm-hmm. Inspired by the Gallup poll that you just cited, uh, they wanted to check if there has been any change. And uh, the positive news is that between for 2014 and 2017, among Americans, there's a 20 percentage point jump in the uh, proportion of people who think that most of the advertisements that they see are honest. Yeah. Coming to the spotlight section now, since we're talking about voice, I actually have, have you heard of uh, this thing called ASMR? Uh, I think I'm familiar with the acronym, but I'm blanking on what exactly it is. So ASMR is essentially, the full form is Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. And it's to do with something about how our brain reacts to certain kinds of sounds. So uh, often on YouTube, you see, come across these videos of people just whispering softly into a mic and uh, or things like crushing, things like bubble wrap uh, and making certain peculiar noises, which apparently gives some people tingling sensations in their brain or their head. And it's, it's a very pleasurable thing, apparently. And uh, recently, during the Super Bowl, which is one of the biggest sporting events in, in the USA, uh, an ad featuring Zoe Kravitz actually used this ASMR strategy. So she's shown to be in this beautiful uh, scenic nature sort of scene. And she's whispering something into a mic. And so, of course, people are still wondering if this is just sort of like a flash in the pan or if this could be the next big way to attract customers and to, uh, to sort of make advertising more efficient. Uh, right. I think my feelings about that are a little bit mixed. Also in the spotlight section, again, just like our entertainment episode, a little bit, mm-hmm. literally a spotlight is a company I want to tell you about, which is a company called Start Rocket, which is trying to sell ad space in the skies, by which I mean a literal billboard in space. So I wonder not, what you think of that. So not skywriting, you mean in space space? Yeah, yeah. skywriting, I think is 100 years old yeah. now, but an actual glowing billboard sign, you can go to their website called startrocket.me uh-huh. and what you will see immediately on the front page is something right out of a Black Mirror episode. Huh. Precisely as creepy as it sounds. I don't see that strategy succeeding a lot in the very near future. Well, 
who really knows anymore but to conclude the spotlight section i have one word for you gamification almost every management consultancy seems to have blog posts on their websites on gamification and if you are about to take an interview in the advertising or marketing space in the near future be sure to expect interview questions on the topic right so by gamification you mean companies trying to have incentive programs and getting reward points and that sort of thing yeah and also uh, this is i mean if you uh, remember from our previous episode the throwback to another podcast that we keep mentioning uh, ology's episode ludology right. the idea of progression and learning yes. over time and improving on a particular skill over time right but i think that is already i mean there's a reason why i think it's on all of these big uh, consultancy blog posts because if you switch on the tv especially during cricket season all you see is competitions like these with food delivery apps with travel apps a lot of different people are think trying to build these games integrating them into the way the world app works yeah yeah and and the more you integrate say a competitive angle or a real world angle where you have to collect something from a real location uh, or swipe something and there's an element of chance and, and so yeah. on so that uh, the more uh, those sorts of elements you build in the more you gamify the experience of the consumer right great so with that we've come to the end of the spotlight section and hence the episode hope you guys enjoyed it please join us next week thank you music on guitar by tanay editing by both of us interns and film codes used with presumptions under the fair use doctrine and don't forget to check out the show notes for the references we mentioned goodbye